Greetings and welcome to the 30th episode of Broken Boxes podcast. This is really exciting that the project has taken shape into what it is today. And I just wanted to thank you all out there listening for your continued support. I also wanted to let you know that we are moving into a new property, new project, live workspace, new studio, and over the summer I will be only releasing one interview a month instead of two. I appreciate your patience and support during this time and we have so many incredible interviews to release in the future, in the coming year and beyond. So just keep listening and don't worry, I'm not going to stop anytime soon. I'm just um, kind of lightening my load a little bit while I finish up this building project and raise two kids and do my own creative stuff on the side. You know, just keeping it real. I also wanted to introduce to you the artist of this episode, Nani Chacon, an incredible force, a female painter who just has so much inspiration and so much light and so much wisdom to share. So I hope you enjoy this interview and thank you so much again for your continued support. If you ever want to connect to me, you can reach me at brokenboxespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on SoundCloud at Broken Boxes Podcast and we are also on iTunes. So show your support. Um, you can also donate if you have any extra funds and want to throw down. Donate button is um, on our website under support. If you're enjoying, please consider contributing. All right, without further ado, here is our current episode with Nani Chacon. Blessings. talk I always get this is like the most uncomfortable part of it <laughs> <laughs> the most like unnatural part of it all um well my tribal affiliations I'm Navajo and I'm Chicana um I'm a painter that's what I I think I do in probably every realm that I do as an artist so within that I illustrate and I do murals and I paint paintings um, I guess if I had to say any other thing about what I am as an artist, I'd say an illustrator because I like to tell stories with my work, um, or at least I think that's the way I see it. What was your first introduction into creating, into becoming artist? Well, when I first started getting into art was when I was a teenager, and I... I got into doing graffiti. That was that was pretty much it. I I didn't really draw too much before then, or really do anything else. Um, I mean, I would say as you know, as like a little kid, I I liked drawing. I liked doing art, but I wasn't like a naturally gifted artist, or I wasn't like doing portraits, realistic portraits at the age of five, or anything like that. Um, 
the time that I really got interested in it where I was doing it every day was when I was a teenager and and that was only because of graffiti I got really interested in just making letters and I liked that I liked that it didn't rely on having to draw pictures and having to draw uh, things that looked realistic it was just this kind of movement and and composition I guess even though I didn't know it at that time that that's what that was and there was just a lot of excitement about it uh everything about it was unconventional and what really got me into doing art so I did that and really didn't have any kind of um aspirations to do anything else like I wasn't at the time I wasn't thinking like I'm going to do this and then I'm going to become a professional artist. It was more like, I just want to go paint that wall over there and I'm going to go paint a train tonight and, you know, do what I want to do and kind of be a reckless teenager in the process. And, um, and that was it. That was my art story. <laughs> Did you come across any kind of resistance being a female and stepping into the graffiti world? Oh, all the time. Um, yeah, um, I mean that. I think as a graffiti artist in general, you you have resistance even as a male. <laughs> it's so competitive, and it's so there's so many factors. I mean, it's like you have police that are against you, and people and society against you, and then you even have your peers in a way. Um, who are very competitive and you have to kind of look out for. But there's also family and there's also a community in there um, that is also very nurturing and, and exciting. I think I met some of the best artists that I've ever known through that field and they inspired me to do more and I, I certainly learned a lot from them. But, but yeah, as a woman, um, I mean, I always got a lot of resistance. I think it was more so just people taking me seriously and, and thinking that that was really what I wanted to do. You know, you always kind of hear the comment of like, that's pretty good for a girl, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and then it was like, wow, that's just pretty good. <laughs> and, um, and, or that's great. Like, oh my God, that's a girl. And uh, when I was, when I was pretty prolific, my partner at the time was also a writer, and um, he was a lot older and pretty established. And I remember there was a lot of rumors going around that he painted everything for me. And um, I actually kind of liked hearing these rumors because it was it was neat. I mean, everything was done kind of, I guess, masked, and you didn't know. So sometimes people didn't even know that they were talking about me when I was in their presence and hearing some of these things that came about, like, oh, I hear so-and-so does his her pieces for her, and, you know, it was it was all amusing. So, I, I mean, all, all those things happen. I think those things even happen as artists, too. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of um, nurturing in, in the art field, but there's also a lot of competition. And I, you know, I, I think that those things don't ever exist. I think with graffiti, though, it's it's certainly much more prevalent because it's part of part of the nature of the field.
moment that switched you on to doing more uh, canvas type of work? I would say in a lot of ways it was a natural progression, but um, it was also definitely a choice. So being a graffiti artist, I got surrounded by artists. I mean, that that became, looking back on it, I'm, I'm really thankful for that because early on I was like introduced to this art field with a lot of really amazing artists. I mean, even artists that I knew back in high school who were just kind of, you know, doing the same thing I was. A lot of them went on to having really prolific careers as illustrators, as graphic designers, as tattoo artists, um, painters also. I mean, all, all kinds of different stuff, more serious professional graffiti artists. Um, so I, I got to know a, a wide variety of artists and really, really skilled people. And um, in that, I, I saw what they were doing and kind of pushed myself. I mean, I, th I think that's the way artists work is we naturally get inspired by one another. So like I said, my partner at the time, he was he was a graffiti writer. He was also a tattoo artist. He, you know, I got to know a bunch of tattoo artists through him and kind of what they were doing and just got introduced to this realm of illustration. I started picking up illustration jobs, um, just doing more fun stuff like, you know, hey, can you make this flyer, or this T-shirt or whatever? And um, started kind of fooling around with just drawing. I started going to college at the time and taking more formal art classes and took some figure drawing stuff and realized like, hey, I can do this. You know, it's pretty easy to like for me to look at something and copy it and redraw it. You know, that wasn't challenging to me and kind of all of the things I had learned as a writer. I mean, that's what I was doing as a graffiti writer was, you know, you do a sketch and then you copy it onto a wall in a bigger size. So it, all of those things just kind of kind of came really natural. So I started picking up stuff like that and doing it here and there. I, I still wasn't ever thinking about being a professional artist, even like through my 20s. Um, I went to school and got a degree in education. And um, it wasn't until I got pregnant did I really, that was like when I stopped doing graffiti. So I was about 25 then. And um, it was just more like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't be like out there running around with my big old pregnant belly. And, <laughs> I, I mean, it just, it made no sense. It was just a whole different, different life experience. And I just kind of embraced that for what it was and said, okay, you know, let's do something else. So just being an artistic person, I didn't want to stop doing art. So I started drawing and uh, I think about the year before I took like an oil painting class, just an introductory level, and I liked it. And so I set up like a little studio with some paints and just started painting things that I, ideas that I had and kind of thinking about what I could do with the paint that I couldn't do on a wall. And I found that basically and just kept, kept kind of going with it. Um, and I would say, I mean, at that point, it was fun. You know, I really enjoyed having this kind of, um, I guess, different side of what I was used to. 
being able to like spend time on a painting and being able to sit there and kind of work things out and figure it out it, it felt more like it was challenging kind of like math or something I don't know I still feel that way with paintings because there's this kind of give and take period where I don't know I guess I guess you find that balance between the paint and the tones and the hues and all that stuff that that just feels right and then you kind of work with that or at least I do but um I like that whole side of it you know I mean with graffiti it was very different it was like I kind of knew what I was going to do a lot of the times especially like if I was painting at night you know like knew exactly what I was going to do how I was going to do it and how it was going to come out before I even went out you know it was like kind of already planned out in my head so this this had a little bit more surprise to it actually so I liked I liked that I liked it, it was like a different a different kind of experience for me and after I started painting I started showing work because there was different like kind of like hip-hop events or different art shows. I mean, those kind of things, always they still always happen. Like, you know, they try to kind of combine all these elements of hip-hop or whatever and have these functions with art and live painting, all this stuff happening. And, um, you know, people were asking if I would show work. And instead of showing, you know, a piece like I would have done in the past, I started showing oil paintings it just kind of blew people's mind I think you know it was it was different and there really wasn't a whole lot of other people doing that so um so then it just kind of snowballed from there I started getting more and more art shows and and was happy doing what I was doing and here we are today talk about the 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 concepts that you um kind of show in your work you you seem to deal a lot with duality and kind of like you have a lot of layers going on in um patterning which um I'm curious to know what what the inspiration is when I first started doing oil paintings it's all all of my work's been figurative or the majority of it is and I, I even still kind of like recently I've kind of got into doing like plants and stuff like that and I still kind of feel like it's even though those aren't leaders, but I, I feel like they have a personality and that's kind of I use them as like the same kind in the same kind of subject oriented way. I guess maybe I want them to be personified or something, but I started out doing female figurative work and really just getting into doing I mean a lot of that was the pinup stuff I was doing, you know, kind of early on and and playing playing with that the figure really just was easy for me and it was it was just like it's an easy format like do it anytime you do figure to work it's just easy you know because people get it it's it's there it's a person they can identify with it it's you know there there's already kind of something that's that's there with it so I did that and and um the first series that I worked on was kind of this rewriting of pop culture I guess maybe archetypes and that was just from me kind of doing studies of a village of like 20th century illustrators and 
and um, looking at their work, but then like seeing that it was just all white people and being like, uh, I want to draw this, but like I have no attachment to this because I don't, I don't know this person. I don't know this history. It's this woman is not me. This woman is not anybody I can identify with. And it's like, where is all the brown people anyway? (laughs) No brown people live in the 1940s and 50s. Where did they all go? Like, I know. So, so it was me just kind of wanting to, to assert that like native people existed in the 50s and and we did all the same things, you know, and you know we exist now because I feel like. Uh, you know, just a lot of the times being treated like a novelty because I was Native and Chicana, especially like going to other cities or stuff and people are like, ooh, you look so exotic and what are you and, you know, all this stuff. So it it was me wanting to rewrite a, a bit of like, I guess, history and see if I could like emulate this style but but put a, a presence of... of um, Chicanas and, and Native women within that. And so I did that for a while. And after that, it was um, in still working with the figure I and wanting to kind of pull away from that a little bit. I wanted to find a way that I could kind of tell more of the story and thinking of it maybe on this abstract level. And at that time, I really started getting into looking at rogue weavings. My grandma was a rug dealer and, you know, it was just, it's fascinating. She has like albums and albums and albums of like rugs that she's come across. And the way she came, kind of came across, started getting into that was just helping out her friends who lived, you know, way out where and, and, um, just like, you know, trying to sell rugs because she would go to Gallup and take their rugs with them and, you know, bring back some cash and help them out because they couldn't get out there that week. And um, I don't know. I, I like that. I kind of, I liked seeing all of these different designs and kind of understanding what what that history was, or not even history, just what that story was, what made them think about doing that, what made them think about putting those patterns there and understanding that that's something that I also understand just from looking at it, but I don't really know what it means Hmm. to them as an artist. So um, I started thinking about what kind of, how do you say, like, translates in symbols and in composition and wanted to kind of incorporate that into my work. So I started thinking about how to use those textile patterns really as, I guess, if you could think about a linear aspect of a story. And really what brought all of those concepts together for me was working back on a wall. So I think one of the first pieces, well, one of the first pieces I did like that was um, this one with a with a basket pattern behind it. And I was kind of like thinking about these layers kind of intersecting in a way to kind of, you know, deepen the story of like, our beauty is just more than it being this surface space thing of like, that's beauty to everybody, you know, like 
being cute or like wearing the right styles. It was really more ideas and heritage and culture. And so I did the, the basket pattern one because that was really the symbol of Navajo beauty to me and, and our longevity and all of these, all of these things that were like taught. So I did this one where it's like a woman's face overlapped with the Navajo basket pattern. And um, so from that, I just kind of wanted to keep going with that idea. Like, how can I use that to talk about, I guess, talk about the things that are unspoken and talk about the things that we can't always put in words that are beautiful. So the other piece that kind of put that into, I guess, fruition was the, she taught us to weave wall. And that was really using the textile patterns as like, these lines of a narrative. So I wanted the piece to read either direction. So that way, you know, the passerby on the train could read it if they were going northbound or if they were going southbound. So I used these lines to kind of like read into the subjects. And that's really kind of where I started going with, with kind of developing these layers and using these textile patterns as kind of a way to construct a narrative around the character that they're intersecting. Have you ever thought about like collaborating with a weaver or something? I have. I have I have thought about like how that could be how that could work. You know, I like textiles and I like um you know, I mean there's definitely a lot of artists that I'm inspired by, but finding the right kind of format to make that work you I know, know. <laughs> always, always the challenge and always interesting because I think when I see a, a weaver's work I just think it's perfect and I'm like I can't do anything to it just leave it <laughs> it's, already, it's already great like I can't I'll ruin it you know something like that so yeah I guess finding the right kind of kind of format to make that happen. Do you ever collaborate in your work? Um, I have. I recently collaborated with, with another artist on a wall, uh, JCB All, and um, I have, I, I would say I haven't collaborated in a long time. Like, I haven't done, I can't think of, like, any kind of really unconventional collaboration one of the ones I, I did was um, that I was really interested in was creating an installation with um, Tanea Wildler. And she did this thing for uh, at this event, Sing Our Rivers Red, and she had this kind of concept to, well, I guess let me back up a little bit. She had um, Sing Our Rivers Red was an awareness campaign, an awareness event for murdered and missing indigenous women. And um, she had this idea to collect earrings from native women, native design earrings. Um, and it was earrings that, in which one side was lost. So, so the missing, I guess the existent pair of, of, an exist, of a missing set. So she collected all of these earrings that women set, sent in in remembrance, and she wanted a, a display to kind of occur around that. And um, she's a poet, so she was like, I'm not really sure how to do this. And so it was like kind of combining her concept of what she had, but then putting it into a visual display. So that was an interesting collaboration and kind of finding, talking with her, finding kind of where her where this kind of 
came from and and us like getting together and talking about concepts and then coming up with with a visual interpretation for that so that was really interesting and actually i am doing a another collaboration right now currently um, now that i'm talking about it um, <laughs> I do do collaborations. <laughs> so uh, another one is with Tiffany Singh, and she's a New Zealand artist, and actually she's out in Santa Fe right now, and she's doing a residency with us, SFAI. A lot of her work deals with kind of the ephemeral and creating massive installations. So we're actually doing a land mural, or I guess we've kind of called it an eco-mural, which... I don't know if that's the right term or not. That's just what we've been saying. <laughs> Basically, like a mural that is composed out of seeds and compost, and it'll it'll have an image, but eventually that image will decompose um, and become an herb garden. And right now, that's kind of the trajectory that I'm on. Is kind of looking at our, our at the urban landscape and seeing its usefulness um, as far as herbs and plants that are around us that we tend to dismiss as being weeds or or just you know not something that you should care about or think is even useful. And so much of the herb garden will be um, plants that are here that you know we kind of. I guess dismiss and we don't really know the properties of. So we're creating kind of a chart for it. Um, that way people can understand the medicinal properties of these plants, how to use them, what they're used for. Um, and it's basically going to be things that you find kind of walking out your doorstep. To the art world. I mean, how do you how do you feel like you're able to maintain yourself as a professional artist um, for other people who might be trying to figure that out in their own path? How do I maintain my? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Why did you ask that? <laughs> no, um, I guess I I don't ever feel like I don't know like I'm trying to make it as an artist I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like I'm fortunate and I'm blessed each and every day that I get to paint and I'm I'm blessed and I'm fortunate that people are interested in my ideas and and they think that it's like a worthy contribution to whatever <laughs> and with that I I just try to be as honest as I can with what I'm thinking and feeling, and I feel like that is what makes me happy as a person and as an artist. I would never want to create something just for the sake of maintaining my career as an artist. So what I mean by that is I don't think I would ever be happy if I was like, oh, I'm really sick of drawing these women, but 
I'm just going to keep doing it because they sell, you know, like, I hope I never get to that point. I hope that, and I'm not, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I pretty much do what I want to do. And, and for me, that's exciting and that's fresh. And I think if I had to pick up a job, you know, probably as a teacher, because I like teaching, but if I had to pick up a job, like a nine to five job to maintain doing my ideas, I would do it. Uh, there's no reason why I wouldn't. Um, but right now I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm able to support myself and be able to do this as an, as a professional. So. And, um, how does it feel being an artist and a mother? And can you talk about, um, talk about that whole juggling act? Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all right, Ginger, it's like oh, 11 o'clock. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and I'll probably be up until about 3 in the morning finishing painting. Um, yeah, I work a lot at night, and I'm like, yay, graffiti made me a night owl, too. Uh, I, I work best at night. I'm always up, like, really, really late at night. Um, I like it because it's quiet, and that's probably the time I get the most work done. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, I was actually just explaining this to another um, artist who's going to be a mother. And I, I actually think it's probably one of the best professions you can have as a mother, though. I mean, for as hard as it is and as much of a balancing act it is, um, especially, like, I'm a single mother, so I don't think I could do all of the things that I do with my son if I had a nine to five job. And we were, he and I were kind of reflecting on that the other day is that, that I'm, you know, we're blessed that I can do this and I can stay up late to finish my projects if I need to, because I can spend time with him during the day and I can pick him up from school and I can do all of these things that, you know, um, some, uh, you know, someone else may just not have the opportunity just to do because they have a boss and a job and have to abide by hours and all of these things. On the other hand, you know, I feel like my son sacrifices a lot for me, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, I mean, this has been kind of the life that he knows, so I don't think he'll he realizes how much he sacrifices. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, just the, the normal stuff of, you know, having to hang out in, in a studio with me for seven hours or whatever, or, you know, being on site at a wall or, or just, you know, having to go to art openings. That's a big sacrifice for a child. <laughs> Not hey, touching you know. anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, those kind of things he, he doesn't, he's, He's been really versed to, and that's always something I encourage other parents. Is like, get, take your kids to museums, like get them some good museum etiquette, because they'll learn it and they'll just never forget it, and they won't touch things, and they they'll just they'll be awesome, you know. But if they're afraid of that, then they they won't know. But um, no, he just doesn't like art openings. He doesn't like people. <laughs> so, <laughs> A lot of artists don't like art openings. um, Is he an artist as well? Does he does he work in the studio with you? How old is he? um, My son is nine, and 
he doesn't he doesn't consider himself an artist he he doesn't really draw which is interesting me and his dad are both uh we both draw and um he doesn't really draw at all, but he likes to make things. He's kind of cute in that way because he gets really, he'll get really interested in like making bracelets or, uh, you know, putting together things. He made these really neat plastic bowls and he sews and he'll like glue things together and make necklaces and stuff like that. And he gets, he gets into making things with his hands, but he's not really like, uh, like a drawer or a painter He's, he's never really been into that. He When he was little, he liked to color like crazy, but he wasn't into drawing at all. <laughs> it was funny. about what kind of work you're doing now what's inspiring you currently currently i would say a lot of my work is revolving around these plants i have three projects right now three projects right now that are kind of about these plants maybe four i've gotten really into this idea of kind of i guess just the idea of weeds and landscape and the story that our landscapes tell so that's kind of how this this thing with plants came about and looking at uh, like yeah about us at weeds and and uh, I think that you know we live in this culture that really wants to tell us to assimilate in so many different ways and we have like all of these things like weed killers and you know we're, we're constantly bombarded by like this information of like. I guess, poisons in our foods and all of these fearful things and that we need a zero scape and all this stuff that you kind of hear living in, in a city. And so my yard is, is crazy. It's just very not kept. <laughs> I spend all my time inside. And so I'm looking outside, you know, last year and, um, I'm thinking I got to pull my weeds and, and all this stuff and kind of feeling a little worried about that. And I don't know, I just started kind of thinking about like, what are all of these, all of these weeds have a purpose, you know, all of these plants, all of these plants that God created are just, they're here for a reason, just like we are. And like for us to dismiss them as not being useful in a way is kind of, it's very ignorant on our behalf. And so I just got kind of interested in that notion. And also what what makes something a weed, you know? And mm. it's just such an ugly title that we that we put on things and we're told to put on things. It's like if we don't buy it in a store it's, or if it's not pretty, it's a weed. And I've kind of had this kind of struggle with, with beauty and kind of the concept of beauty also. So I don't know. I started just in my own time doing this kind of, I guess, walking and contemplating and looking at plants and my own studying and trying to, like, just identify stuff and look at things. And so I met this 
really old herbalist that lives here in Albuquerque. Her name's Maklovia Zamora, and she's she's been such a blessing. She's an amazing woman. She's um, She's got a store down here, and she's just been interested in herbs and all of their secret properties and all of their amazingness forever. Well, not forever, but since she was young. And so I was asked at one point to do a mural down in Barelas, which is the neighborhood where her store is and, um, and where she lives. And I said, well, if I'm going to do the mural, I want to do it of her because she's very significant in this in this neighborhood. You know, she's a woman of knowledge. She's got an amazing knowledge. She needs to be honored in some way because she's getting old and we need to, that's, that's the other thing is like kind of respecting our elders and our treasures while they're here, you know, and, and honoring them while they're alive. I feel like we always do these memorials and these things after they're dead and then, you know, that person never heard it. It's like, you know, that compliment that nobody ever tells you or something. It's like, what's the point? So, so yeah, so I really wanted to do that piece. And so that's going to be one of them. Um, as I started drawing that and kind of um, proposing the idea and started finding the spot for it, another mural project came along in the same neighborhood, which is doing it, doing a really huge mural. It's like, I think I haven't taken measurements yet. I'm kind of afraid to. <laughs> I think the wall is like 80 feet by like 25 feet. It's pretty big, but it's at a school. It's at Washington Middle School. And um, the kids from that neighborhood are going to be helping me paint it through working classroom. And so when I started coming up with the concept for that mural, I wanted to do something kind of similar and tie them to, together. Um, all of the murals that I do are always site-specific, so I figured since that was in Baralas and it was talking about this herbalist who was interested in plants and knows all of these hidden properties of plants, then I wanted the kids of that neighborhood to be studying the plants of their neighborhood. So we basically started the class by like walking around, taking photos of weeds that were growing up between sidewalks and cracks and in medians and whatnot. And, and then researching them, figuring out what they did, what they do. Um, and then I, you know, all the kids learned how to paint. And so their paintings or some, some of the paintings that they have done of plants that they chose will also be put onto the wall. So then that one is also about kind of plants and I guess being aware of of your surroundings about of this I want people to identify that like, oh that's that's that thing that grows in my yard. You know? It's actually good for headaches or something like that. So um, oh, I can eat that. And that was kind of the amazing thing was, you know, I took the, all the kids down to meet Maclovia and, and they just had so many questions and it was great to hear all of their questions and responses. And for me, that, that, was, that was really the connection I wanted them to understand. And, and really, I hope people understand, but I think if I start with kids, then, then that's, that's the better that's the better avenue than trying to teach adults. <laughs> um, they're they're going to survive through a time that 
who knows what the state of healthcare is going to be and and who knows where it's going to be at i mean i know that i've survived through complications in healthcare and healthcare issues and getting medicines that i needed and i won't even talk about ihs cuz that would be a whole nother radio show <laughs> and i won't even talk about you know an artist with no health insurance and what that's like cuz that would be something crazy and different but but all of those are very real problems and i even think about when people have stable jobs what their health insurance is going to be like i mean it that's the problem in itself is that that's our mode of having to cure ourselves is going to the doctor when we don't have a system that supports being sick which is a natural part of life so um i feel like teaching kids about these plants is maybe something that is going to help them in the future in some way or maybe help all of us. And then also the piece that I'm doing with Tiffany um actually curating and planting this herb garden which will be at Los Jardines Institute which is which is um it's a garden and it kind of works for it's it's a food justice center also it it really um kind of creates all of the connections and in, in um growing food packaging food community kind of resources um they're an interesting place and so it's going to be housed there and and so it's kind of like creating connections between all of these projects that I have going and and really making a complete thought around the pieces that I make. I really want I don't see murals as being big paintings by any means. I I really see them as being installation work. They really have an impact on the environment that they're in are in and they really should have a dialogue with that environment. So um since I got asked to do these three pieces here kind of within the same urban context of one another, I really wanted them to have a relationship. Yeah, it seems like you're also finding a way to meld together education and art. <laughs> And kind of uh, the two fields that you have studied. <laughs> yeah, I say I really like teaching. So whenever those opportunities I think come up, I always I try to I try to make the most out of them. You know, I I, I like I like doing that a lot. And sometimes it works out more harmoniously, you know, than other times. Like working for the public school did not work out harmoniously. <laughs> <laughs> really? No. But it didn't work out harmoniously to be an artist and to be a public school teacher because there's just too many um parameters that they try to put you into of what you can teach and what you can't teach and how you can teach it and how much time you have to teach it and all of this stuff. So, I mean, doing a concept like this in the public school would have probably wouldn't have happened wouldn't happen in the same way. Mm. I I wouldn't have the freedom to make all of these connections. Do you think that art is a way to kind of bring 
education to youth? And do you think that art is a way to kind of save the world in a way? I don't know if it will save the world, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, maybe educate education is what can save the world through art perhaps yeah i mean i I think creative thinking should be nourished um at all costs i mean and that's whether you're a scientist or a mathematician or a motorcycle repairman or anything if you're a creative thinker it should be it should be nourished and you should just you know go off the handle with it in any way because those those kind of things lead to to what would save the world i believe you know um as far as visual art or art itself you know the more and more that i get into being an artist and then kind of learning the economy of it all and and the business side of it i think like it won't save the world <laughs> i want to abandon it and live in the mountains or something but I, I I do believe in creative thinking and I, I think that there's something very special in that and I think that that's one of the things that they're very afraid of to nourish in schools um, and I think that that's what we see with like standardized tests I mean I mean just a standardized test like it's a standard test I mean a test is already a standard is already a measurement of being standard you know it's and then they even push that even further so it's like how how much less creative can we make kids <laughs> and, and because and they do that because that is a very scary thing I mean what if we do empower all of these kids to be able to think outside the box and not do what we tell them what if we do make people who have creative ideas and creative ideas that people would follow then yeah then all of these other things are in big trouble so yeah, I, I I I do think finding your art, I guess, could save the world, whatever whatever that is. What do you hope that your art leaves behind after you're gone? Um, <laughs> I always make the joke that uh, I hope that my art affords some grandchild like a free ride as an artist like like a namanga or something like that or um yeah like some grandchild down the line is like i'm a chacon the money because my grandma didn't get it um (laughs) but and if that happens i'll be totally happy (laughs) in my grave um but no, I, I I just in all seriousness, I, I actually believe a lot in education. There's there's kind of a selfish side to doing art in that oh, I think we spend a lot of time alone and we don't really get to educate people or talk to people or talk to kids and certainly some artists aren't able to do that. But I hope just in some way that somebody sees my work and I don't know, can take it to a different level, not even a level that I, I even thought of, you know, and and I think that that's, that, that, that kind of perpetual motion of just concepts and um, inspiration are important for whatever, for whatever reasons. But yeah, I would, I would be happy with that.
was one thing that you could change about humanity as it exists today, what would that be? It would be maybe to stop compartmentalizing our own states. You know, I, I think in some, I mean, and I, I'm included in this. I think that this is like, in no way am I like, I'm above and beyond the state of mind. I am completely giving of myself to everybody <laughs> and to the world. But no, I think in some, at some point in life, we, we became very focused on ourselves and thinking that that the whole world is basically what, what exists within ourselves and and that the impact and, and the hard things that we do only affect ourselves, whether that's like with our language or the way we treat people or the way we treat the earth, um, the things we do to the earth, the things we do to our body, the things that we do to our children. For some reason, we think that instead of that having this trickle-down effect and affecting everything, we think that it only affects us for this one moment. And then it's gone. And I just feel that that's not true. That it's it's not that compartmentalized, and and um, and that everything everything is linked in some way. And if, I think if there was one thing I could change, it would be having that realization sooner in in people. I think in some way we all figure that out, but but it, but it, it's kind of almost like it. it I think it would take a collective consciousness to make a lot of change. And so, yeah, maybe that would be the, the one thing is just kind of realizing that, that we're all, we all affect one another. What do you want to say to the world? Like this could be your soapbox moment. Um, if you wanted to share anything personal or anything political, um, what would you, what would you have to say? Um, well, I guess maybe like this, if you have the opportunity to ever say something about anything that you feel isn't right, do it. Um, I, I think that right now in, in the world, in the state that we're in and, and the state that probably we're always in, um, I think it's important that, that we communicate and, Sometimes I think with one another, we feel that people or, or um, situations don't deserve as much communication as maybe other ones. But I, I think everybody has that right. And I think that everyone should use it and use that however you feel is necessary. I mean, if you feel like you need to express that in your work, if you feel like you need to express that as a writer or even just... I mean, I hate to say it, but like even your Facebook rants or saying something, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's the time to say things if you, if you feel like you need to say them on whatever that is. And yeah, I mean, right now I, I, I do think like environmentally speaking, there needs to be a more conscious effort to, to um, make some significant changes around the world in how we live and that I think I see it happening very slowly very 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 slowly and um and encourage kids to really make big changes you know kind of I mean we have the opportunity every time a kid is born to like 
completely shape their world. And like, if you teach a kid just not to be wasteful from the time that they're born, then like all, like you create a whole generation of non-wasteful kids, you know, and, and like, imagine that impact that that has on our environment and our water and our air and all of these things. So, um, our economy, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that that effect is very, is very big. And, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's anything I'll see in my time, but I think in my son's time or, you know, maybe grandchildren's time that, that they'll see that. So, so those are the things that I kind of hope for. Shut your eyes.